Welcome to the System.ca, the art and science of coaching, providing innovative information on speed, power, recovery, wellness, strength, and conditioning for both athletes and active individuals. This episode is brought to you by the System.ca, physical mercenaries for hire. We are the providers of the 90-day pipeline solution to faster and better athletic performance using our exclusive 360-degree integrated approach to regeneration and conditioning shortcuts that addresses the blockages to athletic performance and wellness and teaches you the secrets to continued athletic performance. The 360 integrated approach is based on two things, 33 years of proven hands-on real-world experience working with athletes ranging from world-class, college, high school, youth, chronically injured, concussed, and top-level amateurs from over 25 different sports. This approach also involves looking at a query from a quantum perspective versus a multiple causation approach or linear perspective. The 360 integrated approach takes into account four areas of investigation and enhancement, physical, structural, biochemical, environmental, and psychological. If performance matters to you, we can help you improve your athletic performance by 20-30% in less time, with faster results, with faster recovery, with less effort, with less injury potential, and with less cost. Don't believe us? Then check out some of our testimonials at the system.ca backslash testimonials backslash. Call us now as space is extremely limited. So, um, I am here today with a very distinguished guest. His name is Carl uh, Zuin. Did, did I get that right, sir? Any way you pronounce this is going to be correct. <laughs> okay. Uh, coach Carl, give you a little background, is a soccer coach, but he works uh, primarily uh, currently with uh, children and developing what I consider a uh, fundamental partner fund. Um, that's part of his company's name. But uh, he develops the, uh, the, 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 uh, the groundwork for which athletic talent can be properly uh, utilized later on in life. Have I got that right? Well, I would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> give, me, give me a bit of a background, Carl, Coach Carl. Okay, Yosef, I'll make it really quick because uh, if I start talking about my background, we'll be in here for an hour. I but, got to- uh, let me give you two of the highlights. One of them is I was the state director of coaching for the California Youth Soccer Association. And I was able to serve the children from 1978 until 2012. Okay. I also have published eight books on soccer. Uh, one of them was translated into and uh, distributed in China, another one in Japan, and another one in uh, the Spanish-speaking countries. And uh, the focus is, has always been to try to create the love of the game in the child so that they play it for a lifetime rather than what they're doing right now, which is playing it up until they're teenagers. And when it's their decision to uh, either play or not, they quit, and they're often uh, not too active. Right, right. And I think that's really critical. Uh, I mean, you, uh, hit, you touched on a key word, the love of the game. And I would say I would probably take it maybe a little further if you, if you don't mind the love of sport and the love of just being healthy. And I think that's really critical uh, as opposed to trying to mold the, the athlete or, you know, the child into a potential Maradona or something like that, which, you know, could possibly happen. But uh, the reality is, 
not everybody's going to make it at that level, but they have a love of health and fitness. Correct? Exactly. And the bottom line is uh, we need to make sure that these children actually are taught how to play because today it seems like everything's controlled by adults and we have a tendency to make them dependent on us in order to just go out and play. And uh, hopefully during this discussion, I'll be able to get some ideas across to you and your uh, listeners as to uh, how we need to teach the children to actually play on their own because nowadays they don't. Right. And you, you, you had a very uh, a soft spot for me, and the word is play. And uh, I remember taking a course, and I mentioned this in an earlier podcast, and it was one of my profs, Joel Levy. And at that time at university, I needed to boost up my GPA to stay in the phys ed program. So I said, hmm, I'll take this one course here called Theories of Play. How hard can it be? It was an essay every week almost. <laughs> but uh, I ended up doing well in it. And I really had a really nice interaction with uh, Professor Levy. And uh, one of the three things I kind of learned, and I always forget the third one's probably the reason why I got a B plus, but uh, it's suspension of reality and internal locus of control. So give me your definition of play. Well, I'm not too sure if there's a definition for play, but it's the idea of a child doing what they're comfortable with and what they understand. Uh, I find that uh, right now, what we do, as a matter of fact, if you take a look at the word play or player, the kids are telling you why they're coming to practice. They're not coming to practice to improve and do the other things that adults expect them to do. They come to play the sport. So I don't care if it's ice hockey or if it's basketball or whatever it might be. And we as adults take that away from them by trying to teach them the sport rather than allowing them to play. They should be playing the sport itself in order to learn how to play the sport on their own. And that's the bottom line. We make them dependent. So for uh, let me give you just a quick example. Sure. Go ahead. Um, do you coach soccer, by the way? I've worked with kids, yeah. Worked with like, a soccer team and stuff. Like, uh, you, the, young, the youngest I ever worked with was the U4, U14. Okay. So you have U14s coming out. Uh, did you lay out the cones for them? You know, no. the environment? No, I wasn't in charge of that. I was more about just trying to getting them how to run, run properly. <laughs> okay, so if you came to the practice and you had a head coach, was everything laid out for the players? Were they flags out, cones out, and everything else? Pretty much so, yes. Okay, so what we're teaching right now is the kids, especially here in the United States, I don't know how it is in Canada, but the children come to the playground and everything is laid out for them. And what we're teaching them is you can't play unless there's an adult that lays the environment out for you. So now when they go home, what do the kids do? They start playing computers and everything else because they haven't been taught how to lay out their own environment. So the first thing that I try to teach coaches is to teach the child to become independent. And that means to teach them how to lay out the environment. As an example, let's say that I have two cones. And Yosef, you're on one, you're my friend and I'm the other person. And I put my, put my feet together and I go to the right side as far as I can with my foot and I lay down a cone. I bring my feet back together. I go to the left side. I lay down a cone. What have I just created? You, um, you, you've created basically a, uh, a game, a game, basically your own game. Well, I've laid down a cone here. I've laid down a cone here. So there's two cones laying on the side. What boundaries? How about a goal? There, there you go. 
Okay, so now if I asked you to take 10 steps in, in, in the opposite direction and do the same thing that I just did, feet together, right side, put down a cone, left side, put down a cone, what have you just created? The soccer field, basically. Exactly, a one-against-one soccer game. But what do we do? We lay these things out for the children when they go, well, let me ask you this. Can a four, five, six-year-old stretch to the right and to the left and lay down cones? Pretty tough, but yeah, you can do it. They can do it, I think. Okay, pretty tough, right? So in other words, we don't expect them to be able to do it, so we don't teach them. Pardon? But if you're patient, do you think they'll eventually learn it? Yes, I believe so. Okay, well, I believe I know so because I have a four-year-old granddaughter. It took her three tries, and she was able to do it on her own, lay out a goal, laid out my goal, and then we started playing one against one. Right, right. Wow, that must be exciting. Uh, you know, you hit, you, hit a ter- you hit a little point here, and the idea of um, sort of everything being laid out for them versus when they come home and then they go back to the computer games. What I think, we, you know, one of the, the uh, elements that Dr. Levy kind of pointed out to me was this idea of internal locus of control. And what that meant was basically, you know, to sum it up, was uh, the idea of stretching the mind, where basically the, the, the child basically starts to develop their own borders, uh, but you're, you're giving them permission in one sense to do that, uh, and they basically now, so that, the, you know, the, 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 the mechanicia of doing that, I think what you're doing in a nutshell, I could be wrong, but you're fostering imagination. Well, not just that, what you're doing is you're creating habits. Yes. Have you ever had a teenager in the house? <laughs> no. <laughs> I've had my nieces and nephews, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, have you asked their parents about how clean their rooms are? Thank you very much. <laughs> well, why aren't their rooms clean? Creating boundaries. Well, you have to remember that nobody taught them how, to, how that room should look in order for it to be clean, so the end result is... Mom goes in, cleans it up for them, and it's the same thing in sports. We do everything for the child, so eventually they can't depend on themselves to do those things on their own. Right. And so, you know, it's really interesting. I think people fail to realize that that play uh, in a in a in a in a in a, uh, in a broader sense, especially with sport. Sport is sort of for me. It's um, it allows you to kind of uh, I wouldn't say misbehave, but basically interact in ways that you would normally not interact uh, otherwise. And I think in, in, in certain environments, certain sports, uh, I mean, I'm in the bad side, for, for example, hockey, for example, I mean, there's fighting in hockey. Uh, you know, if you did that in public, let's just say you would be, uh, you, you know, different story. But if you uh, did in hockey, oh, it's two minutes in the penalty box. Uh, so there's certain things that we allow in society that uh, maybe up here anyways, uh, Canada's a little different in some ways. Uh, you know, in some countries, it's, it's really a frowned upon, which is probably a good thing. Uh, but sport, to me, kind of allows that to happen. And then, like you said, when you start to kind of pre, preset all these things, you're taking away this sort of ability to sort of experiment with your personality, with other people. And through that interaction, you learn human, you learn character, you learn discipline, you know, 
it's a way of sort of uh, allowing you without having the formal repercussions as if, for example, you fought in, it's in, in hockey, I'm bringing up hockey here, but, you know, after the game, you shake hands and that's it, you know. You did that in public, it would be a different story. People, the police would be involved, right? So it's kind of a interesting di- uh, dichotomy here. Well, it's also the same thing, leadership, right? If uh, the child is constantly or the player is constantly dependent on the coach to decide for them what's going to happen in the game, what happens during the game. I mean, in soccer, it's horrendous. We're yelling and screaming at them all the time, and they don't have uh, uh, the ability to just focus and try to figure out, do I listen to somebody on the sidelines and follow their instructions, or do I play the game? You know, where's my concentration? So let's take, for example, a younger child. What's, what are they taught as soon as they hear their name? Well, not only that, the parent is on the sideline and they're a distance away. In order for their child to hear them, what do they have to do? to get their attention. You've got to yell them. Yell. You have to yell at them. Now, at home, if you yell their name, what what does that mean usually? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Okay, so here you've got a child on the field. The parent yells his name, and the child goes, look, look, and listen. Well, in our game, that ball doesn't stand still, and nobody stops to figure out what the mom and dad are going to be saying and how to apply it. Okay, by the time they look back, the game's already changed. So just starting there, the leadership portion of it is we need to be able to have that child feel confident enough to be able to just concentrate on the game. You know, Smitty, there's a if you ever get a hold of this, it'd be interesting. I, I'd like to see listen to your take on it. There was a National Film Board movie, and I remember watching this in grade school. It was a split screen, and one screen was a bunch of kids getting together uh, in the neighborhood, and playing baseball, pick up baseball. The other one was the same age, roughly, but it was very formalized. It was like, you know, you had team uniforms, you had parents in the stands uh, doing what they're doing, good or bad. Um, and then, you know, what you saw at the beginning was, you know, you had this formal, everybody was on one team, the other, the other, other person on that team. The other, the other split screen, all these kids just put their gloves in a pile. And, you know, there was one guy just basically was just dishing left and right. Uh, what the teams were. And, you know, it turned out one side was completely stuck and they were just getting killed. Uh, you know, the other side was killing them. But in the end, this is really interesting. Uh, in the end, what happened was they said, okay, last run wins. And guess who scored the last run? It was a team that was getting killed. And the next day, they played again. And it was no mention of the previous loss or, you know, what, you know, it was just free flow. And then the other side, oh, my God, it's chaos. <laughs> so, and I, I remember just growing up, I never, I never was involved in formal sports as a kid because my parents couldn't afford it. <laughs> so maybe it was a good thing, I don't know. But we came here as immigrants and we, my, my dad worked a lot, my mom worked a lot too, so there's nobody really to haul your butt around from sport and sport. So we just played with the kids in the neighborhood. And we played, everybody was sort of in the same sort of boat with their parents. And so everybody kind of just played. And we, we played hockey in the wintertime. We played football, baseball, soccer in the summertime. It was basically whoever had the equipment at the time who, who wasn't, uh, who was willing to give it up. And so some guy had the ball, nobody else had the ball. And so you had to go and knock on his door and say, hey, can we borrow your ball? Or something like that. Or then, then somebody got a ball. And that was in the two balls now. Basically, so we had a little bit more 
leeway in terms of can we play soccer that day? And it was, we never had that. I, I look at some of the kids that I work with and their parents, right? You know, the formality that's required now at their young age. I, you know, I, <laughs> it just kind of boggles my mind because I'm thinking, well, hold on here. We played every sport known to man pretty well. We made some of these things up. We made the rules up as we went based on the team that we, you know, that was sort of getting killed or, okay, you can't do this, even though the rule book says this, but you, you know, you can't, you can do this, you can't do that. And so this idea of play to me was really formalized. And I, I think I learned to grow up in a very healthy sort of uh, environment. And I truly believe that that, and again, I'd like to hear your take on it. I think that sort of helped me with my ability to think later on for cognitive ability. And I know from a, a lady by the name of, she's actually from California. Her name is Dr. Carla Hunnifer. And she has this whole thing on brain gym and the idea of uh, play and, and whatnot. The idea is that certain movement patterns are developing different parts of the brain. And uh, when you eliminate some of these movement patterns uh, that they, the child actually has cognitive impairment later on. So I'm just, well, what's your take? Well, I mean, if you want to add to that, I'd love to hear your opinion. Well, all you need to do is just take a look at the uh, top players in any sport. Where did all of them start? Did they start in their neighborhoods or did they start getting coached at six, seven, and eight years old? It, it, I agree. I agree. I agree. All, all the top players, I don't care who it is, from Michael Jordan to Messi, they all were kids that played in their neighborhoods. Uh, yeah. My question my question to the adults is, uh, by the way, did you play basketball by any chance? <laughs> Another my, sport you didn't play, huh? Myself? Yes. Oh, I we played we played a little bit, but not much because there were no hoops in our neighborhood. But okay. It, if we had it, we would be playing it. All right. But let's say that you had a hoop in your neighborhood. Or have you seen kids in the neighborhood with hoops? Uh, in another neighborhood, uh, you know, further down, they had hoops, but we didn't have hoops. Okay. Uh, when the boy or the girl were by themselves and they had a ball, what do you think that they were doing when they were shooting at the hoop? What well, was going through their mind? Just basically pretending as if they are some superstar. and Absolutely. To... Absolutely. Yeah. And they take shots on, on the basket, you know, and their brain is going to, I'm so-and-so, and I just finished shooting and winning the game. And a friend shows up. In most cases, what did those kids play first? One-on-one -on -one or shoots. See, probably shoots, shoot, like, you know, just shooting. Just shooting. They would play games here in the United States called horse, H-O-R-S-E, or some okay. kind of a game, Right. right. Who taught them how to play that game, H-O-R-S-E, horse? They probably just made it up. Some other kids did. The oh. older kids taught the younger ones how to yes. play those games. Yes. And pretty soon as more kids showed up, you know, now you played, you know, two on two and whatever the numbers were. But the bottom line is it was older children that taught us how to play the game. It wasn't an adult because I just don't think adults know how to communicate with kids. But older kids can communicate, they can still relate to how they learn that particular game. You know, it's funny you say that because I, I work with a couple of 12 and 13 year olds. And in order for me to keep them attentive for an hour in, my, in trying to get them what I need to do, um, 
I, I, the, the highlight of the whole thing really is not me working with them. The highlight of the whole thing is we play mini, mini sticks. Or we play, a, we invented a game called the ball game. And the idea is that uh, if, you, if, I, if it goes by you, and there's a certain, we, we create our boundaries. We say, okay, this is the, how high you can throw it. And the kids love that so much more than me working with them. It's almost like, and the parents get a kick out of it because I, I'm a bit of a kid, go, go figure. <laughs> I'm a bit of a kid myself, and I love playing with kids. I just love playing with kids because I think it just, and I let them, I don't put rules. I just say, okay, what do you want to do? What do you want? Okay, we'll make the rules as we go. And they, they pretty much make the rules. And for the most part, I find a lot of time, it's quite fair, actually. You know, some of them are a little bit competitive. I have this one little 12-year-old girl I work with. She's, she's super competitive. Uh, she hates to lose. But, uh, you know, but in the end, it's every week, it's like, you know, it's a new game. And uh, she loves, her dad told me, you know, she likes coming to see you, but she loves the game. Go figure. <laughs> well, that's that's just it, though. Go figure. You know, the problem that we have, or at least the way I look at it, is the kids enjoyed playing those kind of fun games that they create. My question always is, does it relate to the game that they're going to play on Saturday? Probably not. <laughs> okay, so now we get the adults involved again, right? And what they do is they, uh, like in soccer, they'll play, like Simon says, sharks and minnows, uh, uh, you know, bumper cars and all these kinds of things. And my question is, how many of those children around the world get together and play Simon Says, Sharks and Minnows and all these other games versus playing soccer one against one, two on two, three on three? The kids play the games that they're familiar with. They don't play the adult games. They play the children's games like you just mentioned. And I'm sure the kids, like your 12-year-old, She'll go and organize a game with other 12-year-olds later on to play it because they enjoy it. And if the skills relate to back to the game that they're going to play on Saturday, you've got it made. But our kids, they play Simon Says, Sharks and Minnows and all these things. And then on Saturday, we have to yell and scream at them to play soccer. <laughs> well, one of the things I noticed is that uh, so part of this ball game that we invented was if the ball goes by, you get a point. Right. And uh, so you have to have very good reaction time. Mm -hmm. And we play with the small like a sponge ball so you can whip it really hard and uh, it goes by. And sometimes it, uh, you know, the idea here is that they have to react really quickly to that. And it's funny that one of the parents kind of off, off the cuff made a comment that, you know, his ability to, to react to pucks and stuff like that is really increased now because and she thinks it's because of the game that we played. I think, well, yeah, because you're you're having fun while you're doing it. You don't even realize you're playing. I mean, you don't even realize you're doing what you're doing because it's play. It's the whole idea. And I think this is a really, uh, you know, I think it's a really uh, missed sort of aspect of, of, of working with children. And and uh, I think maybe I can, you know, part of this part of the world in Canada, uh, compared to, let's say, in other parts, maybe, I don't know, but this idea is letting them play. Just let them give them some, give them a few rules, but not too many. Uh, and they, they will make things up on their own. And by and large, they will make things up that's fair. And then the week after, they'll, they'll come back and do something else. And it's like, you, you, it's this is basically a bunch of neighborhood kids is getting together. And the parents is like, you know, 
at, you know, track of, you know, when the sun starts coming down, basically, oh, Billy, come home now, you know, but prior to that, the, the parents were not even involved completely. They were like, they're doing their thing, the kids are doing their thing. So that was the beauty of that. And I think now it has to be almost sort of formalized, which is sad, but it's true. Well, like I said earlier, you need to teach the children how to lay out the environment and start playing on their own. So in our case, it's laying out a soccer field. When they have the ball, they're an attacker. When they don't have the ball, they're a defender. And hopefully after, you know, so many years, they actually learn that once you lose the ball, you have to gain it back again. Once you have the ball, make sure you try to score. Right. And I, I like watching little kids play soccer because it's like a it's like a like a beehive around the queen bee kind of thing. It's like wherever the ball is, the whole everybody. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things that I try to teach also is that uh, adults need to realize that the key to teaching children is to make hard work seem or look like fun. Right. And in order to do that, what you have to do, no matter what you do in their practice session, is always include the ball. And I don't care if you're working on stretching, you should have a ball. I don't care if you're working on physical fitness, you should have a ball. And ask yourself the question, does it happen in the game? If the answer is yes, then practice it. If it won't happen in the game, then don't practice it. A couple of examples. How often do you think you'll have a player standing still with another player behind him, another one behind him, another one behind him in the middle of the game? The whistle's blown, the game starts, and those players stand in a straight line. How often will that happen in the game? Pretty rare. So why do we practice it? Because <laughs> we as idols think we should do that. <laughs> well, because we think we've got control of those kids. Yeah. Right. It's I'm the leader and you need to follow my instructions. So stand in line. How do you know what's going through that child's brain at the time that they're standing there looking at the back of somebody else's head? <laughs> exactly. And then coaches can figure out why the kids are stepping out of line and you've got discipline problems because they're hitting each other. I mean, not now because we have social distancing, but once they're closer together, kids have a tendency to figure out, you know, is that shirt made out of uh, polyethylene or cotton or whatever? The other kid, you know, so you have discipline problems. The other thing, how often are you going to find a child once the game starts, the whistle blows, the game is going, and uh, they start running around the, uh, the field? Yeah, you know. Around the field, not in the field. Yeah, it's rare. And yet we have coaches have the kids running laps. Or how often can you call all the kids together in the middle of a game, call them all together, and start talking to them? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Can't do that. So yeah. why do we have them do laps, lecture to them, and also standing in line? Figure out what is it that they need to do in the game, take the ball to it, and make their mind get away from the fact that they're doing like stretching or anything else like that. Yeah. It's interesting. You say that because I, I have a policy with my, with, uh, with uh, in terms of who I work with, I won't work with kids under 12 years old. <laughs> Coward. Oh no. Just because um, in the, in the gym environment, what I do right is uh, basically it's too formal and they don't have the, I said, you know what? You're best just put them on different sports. Just make them play. Just say, why do you have to 
throwing a medicine ball is not normal for a kid. I'm sorry. And and truth be told, there's certain levels of development that has to occur still. Uh, in an informal gym environment, there's a lot of safety hazards and stuff like that. So if you don't have that kind of attention, uh, it's also a hazard for me and them. And so I, I, I've had parents come to me, you know, like eight-year-old kid. I'm like, well, make them play soccer. Make them go play different sports every summer. Like every couple of months, put them in a different sport, right? Uh, and again, that could be a problem too, as you're saying right now, because they formalize it too much too, right? But they need to just play different elements of skill development. And they develop these different motor patterns. And according to Dr. Carter Hunniford, those motor patterns are used later on for cognitive thinking. So the more exposure you can get to, uh, to a child in terms of different movements, and this brings me to this idea of like what I, what I consider like the base sports uh, in, in, in working with kids. One of them would be track and field. In track and field, they learn coordination, reaction time, jumping, running, throwing, endurance, anaerobic, so, you know, running, like mobility, flexibility. Uh, and then gymnastics, obviously, you learn a lot of coordination again, using their bone body weight, strength, isometric work. Uh, they use co coordination. How do they move their body in balance? And then you have swimming again, which is now in a different medium. So you learn coordination, breathing. And then obviously a sport. Um, either soccer, because you learn to kick, you know, use your feet, a basketball with your hands, baseball, uh, football, because you run and catch sort of thing. Uh, we try to, you know, so some of those sports are kind of, you know, but just not in a formal sense, in one sense, but just informally exposure to those elements up until, let's say, 12, 13, 14, at which point then, you start to, you know, maybe specialize based on what they prefer. And this is a really interesting point because my, one of my profs, Dr. Bapa, he was director of coaching in Romania. And they, you know, back in the 70s, I mean, you had gymnasts that were 18 years old. Uh, you know, I remember Olga Corbett. Uh, you know, at 18 years old, you couldn't really do some of the stuff the kids now are doing at, at the international level. They're just like, they're so tiny and they're just making flip, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. So, the, uh, the age standard for some of the sports of entry was much higher later in the 70s than it is now. So you're trying to push this back. The problem is, you know, the, the other problem I find is the physical development, let alone the mental development. But the physicality hasn't quite developed properly to want to formalize that particular sport that age. I see 12-year-old kids now you know, with back problems and, you know, I can't remember ever having a colleague at the youth level having, okay, maybe scrapes and stuff like that and fall, but nobody I knew had a back problem, a shoulder problem, you know, or an elbow problem from throwing too many pitches. Uh, you know, it was just something that you never heard about. Well, to go back another step, you're talking about the equipment inside the gym that you're using. I'm sure that it's not made for six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven year olds. And to go back to back in the 80s, uh, I was very criticized over something that I tried to get across and eventually did. Actually, with Bill Thompson, one of the Canadian national coaches, we started working and looking at the younger kids, and we found that them playing on an adult field, <laughs> 110 yards long, with a goal that's eight feet high. Oh, and they're six and seven years old. It's like they couldn't even see the other side of the field. But they, I mean, you had to play the game. 
if not you were anti-American or anti-sport or anti-soccer. So we came across and I actually um, wrote and published the uh, modified uh, laws of the game, saying that smaller children should be on smaller fields with smaller equipment, with smaller numbers and all that kind of stuff. It's called modified laws of the game. Copyrighted 1980, 20, uh, let's see, 2017, the U.S. Soccer Federation mandated that those laws actually become national law. Over 35 years to get the equipment to, le- uh, to uh, actually fit uh, the children's size and mental uh, capabilities and everything else that goes along with the younger kids. So you would, you would be considered a paradigm shifter then? Uh, I was considered an outlier. Um, I would consider you a paradigm shifter. And what I mean by every a paradigm shifter is one person. Initially, when they first come in, they have an idea, a concept. And everybody thinks they're crazy, right? Fast forward five, ten years later, like, oh, my God, this guy's a genius. <laughs> well, I'm not a genius. I'm still considered an outlier because I focus on the development of the child rather than on the development of a soccer player. You know, I have a book, a very old book on uh, training tennis the Czech way. And it's funny how, I mean, I'm surprised, like, our own tennis association hasn't adopted it. But they they actually had smaller courts and they had smaller rackets, smaller ball, smaller net. And then as the child progressed, they would, you know, able to cover the court more. But because of the smaller sport that the court they had to use the reaction time much better as opposed to the physical element of running back and forth and so when they got later on to the bigger courts it was much easier for them to make that transition of you know with, with reaction time and this is one of the things you develop as children you, you can you can't really develop them physically but you can definitely develop their ability their cognitive ability and their ability to sense uh implements and you know coming at them or something like that and i think this is you know uh one of the things that some of the sports over here uh you know i know tennis is one of them i'm not sure basketball but well just uh, i don't mean to stop you on that one because you mentioned one that i've been looking at for years also and that is basketball at one time all the baskets were 10 feet high Okay, so now all of a sudden somebody was smart enough to start shrinking the basket down, but they were still using the big ball, and the kids still couldn't shoot it. So now they've got smaller ball, lower baskets, and the kids can work on the techniques that some of these professionals do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And this this is where you try to scale things down to their size. And this you you formalize in doing so, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're going to formalize the area of the idea of play. You're going to foster more play aspect of it than having to deal with any outside elements that are controlling the play. Right? Part well, of the other, yes. The other thing that's involved, obviously, also is will they stick to it if they're a failure at it or will they stick to it if they're successful at it? And this, I'll use basketball as an example. If you're shooting at a 10-foot basket and you can't reach it, Eventually, you're going to go, why should I try? And they walk away from the game. Right. But if the basket was brought down and they could do some of the things that you remember, again, they use their imagination and they copy, you know, some hero that they have. If they can do it and they're successful at it, then they'll continue building on it. And this is what you need to do. In, well, 
in my sport in soccer, we need to make sure that the child is successful at it. Yeah. But we also need to create good habits. I remember uh, playing basketball. This is a little off the side here, but you're talking about this play aspect here. I played uh, in, in, in uh, doing my, my physical education de- uh, degree. I had to play different sports. We had to have activity credits. And so one of them was basketball. And um, I, I used to get in trouble a lot for this because I used to do the uh, Jabbar Skyhook. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I used to get the ball sometimes. And we would play the game. And I'm like, Jabbar with the Skyhook. Right. And I, I, I think once or twice I maybe hit it. But the coach is always like, Omar, stop it. You're not Jabbar. I'm like, yeah, but I'm pretending to be one. <laughs> well, it's the same. I'm sure every once in a while, if you've ever played golf, you've got one lousy game and you get to the last hole and you sink a putt and you're all excited to come back again. Yeah. It's so you have to have success before you'll continue doing it. Yeah, for me, it was it was just complete fun because I, I think the coach was a little bit serious. Like he thought, you know, like, listen, these guys are not NBA material or any sort of league material. The bunch we're trying to get a credit here. So let's have some fun here while we're doing it. And if we score a couple of points, we lose a couple. You know, in the end, you walk away and everybody's like happy. So but anyways, uh, we digress here in terms of my child, my, my upbringing here. But I wanted to talk to you about, um, at, you know, uh, at what what age do you work with? Like what what age you do? So do you implement your your programming into different uh, like sort of leagues, or is that the league, or you are you are a league yourself? What I do now is I try to convince adults, and I try to work with coaches because I figure if I can reach one coach with this idea of the children going through a specific routine that they're going to enjoy the game. And that routine is applicable from U6s all the way through professional sports. So I try to convince the adults on teaching the players how to play that game by themselves. Okay. And at what, at what age you, uh, do you – so you implement your program. So you get the coaches involved, or the parents involved, and then they then implement your advice, uh, if I'm not mistaken, and how they should then formalize their – uh, ability to work with the, with the kids that they work with, correct? Absolutely. If the, the coaches have to work with the parents, I mean, it's uh, just like school. You have the work at practice, then you have to go home, you have to do your homework. It's the same as far as I'm concerned as the sport is in soccer. The child goes to practice, they should go home and they learn more on their own than they can at a practice session because the coach has to look at all the players we don't know, uh, you know, we can't focus on the individual. So now the parent has to get involved. And uh, I'll just give you one example. Have you ever seen a father and a child play soccer against each other? Uh, sometimes, yeah. 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 Who dominates the ball? More often not the dad. <laughs> Bottom line is the kid never touches the ball and the father's got the ball the whole time. You need to teach the adult that the child needs to touch the ball. And what you do is you just... Uh, you know, give uh, playful defense, but you don't take the ball away from the child. Again, they need to be successful and they need to be able to score goals. And I just showed you how to lay out that environment. You've got one co- one goal. I've got another one. Let the child score. But instead, dad has the ball and scores all the time. And now the kid goes, well, I can't play this game. Becomes a teenager. They quit. Yep. And I guess the slide tackling would be out of the question, too, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
So I want to I want to get you to, I want your opinion on this on this thing here. And um, I, I feel like coaches to me are sometimes surrogate parents. And, uh, and the experience they have with the coach often uh, reinforces or negates one of the two, the experience they have with the parent. And I think sometimes coaches forget the real. I mean, I work with kids right now, and I, I work with this one young 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 man. He's 14. I call him a man now. He's 14. But, um, you know, some of our sessions are a little bit longer than usual because uh, I'm sometimes imparting information or values that the parent has been trying to reinforce. Uh, and, you know, parents and kids and teenagers, you know, it is what it is. But uh, sometimes they need to hear, uh, sum it up, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. And I think sometimes coaches need to sort of, uh, it's a dicey role. I know it's not, you know, but the idea is like, uh, you know, cleaning your room, for example. You know, hey, did you, uh, just simple things like making your bed. Now, I found out one of my athletes is not making his bed. I said, you know what? Um, you better make your bed. I was like, I'm sorry. You don't come back. You got to make your bed. And the kid respects me enough that he, the parent told me, you know, that was kind of nice. I was firm but fair. I said, you know, it's, it's very important that you make your bed. And uh, the parent told me the week, you know, the week after, he says, you know, he's starting to make his bed. Well, one time I remember the, the child came in and they were a bit, uh, you know, sort of iffy, whatever. And I had to, I stopped I stopped the session halfway and I said, you know what, we're all we're done, we're done today. I said, and I said, you know what, you need to apologize to your mother because your mother drove you all the way from here, and then you you know I'll take my apology second. You need to apologize to your mother first. She drove and she woke up early. She did all this. She got your stuff ready. Right, you got your breakfast, whatever, and the least you could do is show up here with a good attitude. And so next week, I want you coming back, and I want you better with today. And uh, on, upon leaving, the mother's like, you know, she's going like, thank you, thank you, you know. So sometimes, you know, I'm I'm fair. I'm I'm. I always tell the kids, you don't have to like me, you just have to respect me. But uh, if you like me, that's a bonus. <laughs> Well, Yusuf, it's one of the concerns that I really have nowadays, because what you said is having a coach being, you know, an extra parent type of individual. Nowadays, I find an awful lot of coaches, their livelihood depends on the kids doing well. Yes. And it's paid coaches that are looking for wins and losses rather than the development of the child. I agree. And what they do is, I call it a meat market. You know, this child's not good enough, so they put him on the bench or they cut him, and another one comes in. And to me, that is a big concern because we, as you said, coaches, and maybe that's something that I should mention, is I think I became an instructor of adults because <laughs> when I was a, when I was a teacher, children were forced to be with me. Yes. Right? The law said you have to be in this classroom, and now you ha- had children that maybe liked me, that weren't too, uh, maybe not too thrilled about me, and children that didn't like me, but they were forced to be with me for a whole year. And I found that I couldn't reach the ones that were forced to be with me. But in sports, the child 
hopefully makes the decision that they want to be part of the team. So the end result is that they're coming to me with an interest and I can affect them in the areas that you talked about, especially in discipline and manners and all these type of things. And I think that um, like the paid coaches, a lot of them, they do a lot of teams. Well, you need to get to know the individuals. And if you've got a team of 18 players to have 18 different personalities is very difficult, let alone having 36 and 42 and all the numbers that these guys coach. So I think it's very important to have individuals, like you said, who actually can focus on the on the players, get to know them as individuals before you even start coaching them as a team. And rather than, like you said, rather than telling the child what they need to do, like clean your room and do this and do that, Ask them why they're not cleaning their room. Find out from them. Ask them, you know, guided questions to find out from them why they're doing things the way that they are. And then hopefully they can come up with the correct answer rather than you telling them. Because I have a problem with adults telling a child and assuming that they understand exactly what you're trying to get across. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the big thing with, for me with that one child was the idea of discipline. And it starts off, and I, I reinforced it because there's a YouTube video of uh, a naval captain or naval admiral. And the first thing he said, you got to make your bed. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So yeah. He said that. I said that to the parent. I said, you might want to show him this one. Uh, but it starts off with that. These small little things add up, all these small things. And I, I, I try to live as much as I can to give them an example. When they show up, I'm on time. Uh, you know, I have things prepared. I, I take some time. You know, just we don't just kind of go right into the workout. I kind of ask them how their week was to get an idea of what, you know, their mood and also if they're tired this week. You know, all these things sort of give you an indication of what you can do for that day. And so uh, it's really important that you get to know the athlete. Like you said, the personality. Every every athlete has a person. There's a personality behind that number. And if you get to know that personality – um, then you, you need to coach the personality, not the sport. Exactly. If I, if I could sum it up. <laughs> exactly. Well, also to go back to uh, a practice session, to me, the practice session should try to get as close as possible to what you're going to do on game day. So what you just finished saying, like be on time. Well, if the game starts at say 10 o'clock and you ask the parents to bring the child to that a practice at 9.30, that means that practice has to be exactly the same. In other words, bring your child to practice a half an hour before we actually get started. And yes. then practice itself, the practice itself, because everybody asks me, well, how long should I practice? Well, the players, as far as I'm concerned, should be as active in practice as they are during the game. So if the game is 60 minutes long, well, your practice should be 60 minutes long. And hopefully... They're as active during that practice as they are during the game. Okay, yeah. so if the, if the ball is moving and the players are moving, learning is taking place. Once the ball stops and the player stops, learning stops. And right. if coaches can get used to that idea, practice starts here and it ends there. And what do you do then? Well, you know, again, you need to get as close as possible to game day situation. Right. So, Carl. Coach Carr, give me give me experience. I mean, obviously you you played soccer, and I know I know you played at a high level. 
right? <laughs> uh, but, you know, growing up yourself, what was that like? Was that similar to what you're, is it something uh, of similar ilk or is it something that you sort of, you know what, this is what's missing and you kind of formed this, the, uh, the fundamental uh, program? Is that, is that how it worked for you? How, how, did, how did it work? Well, here's a story, and I'm sorry I'm going to be telling a long one because Ed. my mother was Polish, and she was in three Nazi concentration camps. My father was Lithuanian, and he was in a Russian and then a Nazi concentration camp. So I was born and raised in Germany as a Flüchtling, which means a little bit lower than dirt, and I don't remember my childhood. I don't remember if I played soccer when I was a child or not. So when I came to the United States, fortunately, I had pretty good sports abilities, and I played American football, basketball, baseball. I played all the sports until I was recruited because I was a field goal kicker, and one of my friends was the fastest track runner in the United States in a certain distance. He was going to a small private college, and he said, uh, <clears throat> I wanted to go in that service fight in Vietnam and all those kinds of things. But he said, no, let's go chase girls. So <laughs> he went to the athletic director and he said, I want my friend to get a, a scholarship to come to school here. So I met with the athletic director and he says, too short for basketball, too lazy to run track. We don't have a good tennis team. How about, and it's the first time I heard the word, he said, how about soccer? <laughs> so here I was about 18, 19 years old. He handed me a book, and he said, here's the ball, here's the book, read it, and try to learn it. My father had a turkey ranch at the time, so the first chapter was on juggling the ball, keeping it up in the air, and in the bedroom, I'm knocking everything down, and my mom, she says, no more juggling of a soccer ball in the house. And my goal was always to do one more juggle than the day before. So if I did one or two, I stayed in the bedroom until I get three. And then I got four. And then I hit the lights or something. And so it was out to the turkey ranch. <clears throat> I went out there and I juggled. And it was about maybe a week later. It was one of those phenomenal things, you know, things just went right. And I juggled and the ball wouldn't hit the ground for maybe a 100 touches. Wow. Yes, that's what I said. So as the ball hit, I yelled, yes, wow, 75,000 turkeys gobbled back at me, and I figured this is my sport. <laughs> yeah. Maybe the turkeys are not too far from soccer fans. I don't know. <laughs> I've so, seen soccer fans around the world. They're not too far <laughs> There you go. So now to get back to the college, within the third year, I became the player coach for the team. So I must have played it as a child, but I don't remember. And, you know, I picked it up very, very quickly. And what I do now is because I can't remember my childhood, I want children to have one. And we treat the children, in my opinion, as many professional adults rather than giving them a chance to be a child and play the games. Wow. That's a, that's a lovely story. Seriously. Thank you. That's a tearjerker, too. Uh, you know. I, I think you, you know, I remember it kind of brings me with a story with a, a gentleman. I remember he played for the Toronto Maple Leafs, his local hockey, professional hockey team here. Uh, his name was Lou Franceschetti. And I remember uh, meeting him one time and I asked him, he said, how'd you get started in hockey? He said, I never played hockey. He said, my real sport was soccer. 
fact, he got a scholarship. He got he got a scholarship, I think, to Miami of Ohio, which is kind of you know kind of boggles my mind for soccer. Like, why would you want to go to play you know cold climate? But anyways, uh, he was there, and but he knew a lot of the guys on the on the hockey team, and so sometimes the guys used to just get together and play some shinny. And one day he was playing. And the coach happened to pop in to see what the guys were up to. And here's this guy, you know, doing moves and, you know, wheeling around. He says, who is that kid? He said, well, that's uh, Lou Franceschetti. He plays soccer. Soccer? That's it. You tell him, you, say, uh, you know, you tell him to, you know, in the, in the, uh, in a, in, when the fall time comes around, you, you're, you're trying out for hockey. That's how he did. He ended up playing college hockey. Made the switch from um, soccer to, to hockey. And then I think a year later, he got drafted by the Leafs. So here's a, <laughs> I mean, I keep telling that story to some parents. I'm saying like it, like it's you, you, and he used a lot of his soccer skills because, you know, when you, sometimes somebody, your, your stick is tied up. Well, you got to use your skates to kind of push the puck along. And so he was very good at, you know, both, I guess. And, you know, he was able to do some stuff with the skates that the other players couldn't do. And so he was able to, you know, finagle his way around the defense, uh, you know, just by using his footwork. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, all you need to do is take a look at some of the best basketball players or any other sport, actually. And most of them have played soccer in their background. Why? Because you're working on eye-foot coordination, where almost all the other sports are eye-hand coordination. So if somebody, as a child, plays soccer, they're going to be good in any sport. And, you know, it's funny you say that because from a, a, a little bit aside here, but one of the things I do is um, I took a course in um, I work. Sorry, I, I work as I, I do structural body work. And so we work on posture. And one of the key things in posture is you have to get the foot working. And when you get the foot working, the, uh, the expression is you have to be able to see with your feet and feel with your eyes. And so when you learn touch and bare feet, for example, especially if you play soccer with barefoot, uh, you learn the sensitivity of touch. And you learn how to control the ball because, uh, and you also learn a lot about balance because you're right. at any one point, you're sort of on one leg, uh, so to speak, you know. Uh, but so it's really interesting you bring that up because there's a lot of transference from a, from a motor perspective into uh, the postural system by using your foot. Uh, to, to play in a, a game or so, and that allows you sort of that, those sort of variables that, you know, you know, in some ways that you wouldn't have to formally now somewhat, somewhat take that into account when I work with, with, with people is I can retrain the foot. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of my ideas is bring like a small, like a Nerf soccer ball and just kind of spend five minutes or so just kicking the ball back and forth with them. Um, and they, you know, learn to kick with the opposite foot as well. Not from a perspective of learning how to be a better player, but just the idea of getting that motor memory from the brain to the foot uh, established and becomes more of a spinal loop, reflexive movement, as opposed to, you know, something where they, as soon as they go on one leg, they have a hard time sort of figure out where they are in space. I mean, I just look at, for example, Lionel, Lionel uh, Messi. When I, I remember the first time I, I saw him, saw highlights of them thinking that guy runs with the ball as fast as some people without the ball. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, wow, that's, I've never seen anybody do that before. That, that speed. 
and let alone the ability to control the ball at that speed, which is unbelievable. And uh, which is, again, coming back to this idea of developing this whole, making sure the body is functioning properly, right? And so this comes back to where, you know, if you spend time with the children um, learning how to kick the ball, use the ball, et cetera, et cetera, that, I think, over time transfers. And going back to the story of Lou Franceschetti, all this stuff transfers. It's incredible. And it's somewhat organic, but it's somewhat formalized as well, as you do it with your, with, uh, with your program. Mm -hmm. right? So I, I find that really interesting. Well, Yusuf, one of the things that I really try to get uh, coaches to do is to get that eye-foot coordination um, built much better is figure eights. So uh, going back to laying out the goal, go to the right side, put down the cone, go to the left side, put down the cone. That distance would be a distance for me to work on the figure eight. So now I dribble around this cone. And more than likely, which foot do you think I'll be using here if I go around this cone here? On the outside foot, the outside foot. Yeah. And then if I go around this cone, which foot would I be using? The, the other foot, yeah. Okay, so naturally, I'm not telling a player to work with their weaker foot, but if sure. you start a young child going in figure eights and then using the different potty, uh, foot parts, um, you know, instep, sole, and all of those kinds of things, going sideways, going backwards around the figure eight, They'll do it, again, in a fun environment, and it's hard work because they're working on their weak foot, and eventually we hope, or I hope, they won't know if they have a strong or a weak foot because they're so used to doing this, you know, in the routine that eventually they'll, they're both legged. I don't know if you call it that. <laughs> Multi-legged, huh? You're, you, that story reminds me of uh, Karate Kid, Mr. Miyagi, you know, uh, clean my car, wax on, <laughs> and it's like – He's like, uh, after a while, he's like, all I did is like, clean your clean your cars. And it's like, he goes, uh, Daniel Sad, wax on. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love that. That's beautiful. That's, this is the, that's a really good point there because, and this is where, again, I go back to your, the name of your fundament. It's fun. They don't even realize they're doing it. It's fun. Right? And yes. I, this is, I'm sure you have tons of drills like that. Now, oh, Wait. Stop right there. Go ahead. Don't ever use the word drill around me. Okay. All right. No problem. Never. If I ever hear it again, I'll hang up on you because okay. children and, well, let me ask you as an adult, if I told you, all right, let's do this drill, how would you feel about doing it? Uh, it's the challenge or something. Yes. It, yes. It's a negative, right? And that's what we do. We tell them, okay, let's do this drill. And the kids after a little while, man, I'm sick and tired of doing these drills. Right. Every Thing in my um, curriculum is a game. I get it. I get it. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I can see that. Yes. How you how you ref and, you know, NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, uh, you know, how you phrase things really then sets the tone on how that person is going to absorb that thing. And very, very good point. Very good point. So, no, what do you see typically? Um, you know, your program right now is implemented in how many in how many soccer leagues right now? You know, it's up to the individual to make the decision because, like I said earlier, the curriculum is set up in such a way that I don't care who runs a practice session, they're already doing it. But they're not doing it consciously. Because mm -hmm. I found that when a person goes to practice, what they do is they constantly seem to make adjustments. They see something on YouTube and they go, you know, this might fit in here. Or that might fit in here. 
And they don't realize that if the child doesn't know what to expect, then you have to teach them. Well, as you're teaching them, they don't get a chance to play. Mm. So, the, so the games that you play, I'm sure you have a whole bunch of these different games that you sort of worked out now. And no, they're real simple. Real simple. Play games one against one. Right. In, in small groups. Okay. In larger groups and the team. So you play individual to scrimmage. But the adjustment is made according to the skill level of the players. Right. Right, right, right. And so how many leagues right now in California or do you have it across the United States, uh, like your, your programming? Well, I have people that are actually asking me questions internationally because you're in Canada. That's international for me. OK, yes. <laughs> and I have been in Toronto where I did some cleaning, uh, some sessions with uh, Dick Howard and uh, John yeah. De Benedictus. Okay. Yeah. John's on my LinkedIn. I've been trying to get a hold of him. I, I work, you know, kind of a little, I don't want to use this time to kind of promote me, but I kind of work uh, in this gray area between uh, speed development and uh, regeneration. So I try to get the athletes faster uh, guys. I try to bring back guys from the brink. Sometimes they've been injured a lot of times and be developed just from distortion patterns and kind of preventing them from accessing uh, what we call free flow. And so anyways, I tried to link up with John and anyways, that's, that's a long story, but that's how I got, that's how I know him. And that's, I think through that contact, I met you. Uh, so yeah, and I, we chatted a while back, I remember, and I think, you know what, I got to get my podcast set up so I can get half the guy because I would love to, like I said, I want to, I always believed in long-term, I did a paper uh, many, many moons ago on long-term planning for children and uh, very similar to what I just told you, you don't do anything formal with them until basically, um, you know, 13, 14 years old, they start to develop the cognitive abilities so you got to deal with them. But by that, it's all about games and play. Uh, make everything a game. Don't make it too formalized, uh, you know, uh, because they don't, the mind at that age uh, doesn't learn that. And uh, when you make it, there's, you're, you have a high degree of imagination. So we need to propagate that because really, in the, in the end, when you have a lot of imagination, over time, you get to think when you get into an adult, you, be, you, you get this idea of creating, uh, you have, uh, you can create a broader paradigm. You have, you can think abstract thought, which is really, I think, something that's missing in, uh, in school is the ability to think abstractly because a lot of concepts come from abstract thought. And you need to, you need to foster that through movement with a child not through sit down and, and learn because they just the, the brain is not wired that way according to dr carla hunterford as well you just wait the brain is not the brain is hardwired for movement and uh as you give more movement patterns over time that actually transfers into the cognition and this is something you know uh this is why i think at least i can attest over here because one of my clients is a principal and he says when they started taking away recess they had to give more, you know, kids had to, you know, it's sad. Some of the kids uh, would go fatty and they'd say, well, the kids ADD. And so they have to go on Ritalin. And so now they're, and, that, and I, don't, I don't want to go down that road, but basically you, you take it, all they had to do was just implement recess twice a day. <laughs> but the problem was, you see, they got to a point where you couldn't even, you can't even play tag now because mm -hmm. it's a liability. And what parents 
I blame the parents. I don't blame this uh, association because we had gymnastics. We had our, our teachers are never qualified instructors. I mean, we, we're surprised we probably can break next. But, you know, the, all they had to do in one sense was bring in formal instructors in one sense to teach that stuff like they did in Eastern Bloc countries. From what I know from Dr. Bump was telling me, they used to have formal coaches come in there and they would work with the children at that level. But they had formal coaches as opposed to a teacher taking a weekend course and they don't know how to spot. They don't know. And so you had probably one or two liability cases. And next thing you know, it's, it's got to the point where, okay, now the kids are not, you know, getting uh, their, they can't play sport. They're not getting, not getting injured, but they have other, you know, you close one door, open up another one. It's, you know. Well, it goes back to what I said earlier, isn't it? You need to teach the teachers how to teach the kids. And then yes. they teach each other. Yeah. Instead of having to come an expert come in for a couple of hours, you know, what you need is for that individual to teach that adult how to do it correctly. Then the adult has to make sure that they allow the child to learn how to do it themselves. Right. Right. But to get back to the curriculum, you asked, you know, who's using it. It's uh, there is no such thing as anybody having a perfect curriculum. All you can do is give them a framework. And then what the coach has to do is adjust that framework according to the skill level and the interest and the motivation of the players. Uh, and maybe one of these days we can do another podcast and we'll go through the nine step routine. I, I love that. Again, I got I have to bring a, I want to do that. I want to also bring another gentleman as well. Maybe kind of, uh, maybe have a, a three way conversation if possible, kind of bring it. Cause he's, he was a gold medalist and uh, I'm sure that the three of us probably have an entertaining conversation, but, yeah, I, I, again, um, you know, Coach Carl, you're, you're, uh, I really appreciate your time for taking the time out. I know it's, uh, you're a busy man. And uh, it, it really, it's kind of one of my, one of my things uh, that's close to me is working with kids and uh, making sure they have fun. And I think I see that they've sort of lost that element. Uh, some, some coaches get it. Some coaches don't get it. Uh, some parents don't get it. And uh, when you have, when a child has fun, it's amazing what good things can come from it. But if they don't have fun, you'll just burn them out. I think in very young age, um, they, uh, they they just don't play anymore. They just have a, they'll lose a love for physical activity. Well, the dropout rate here in the United States between uh, ages 10 through 14 is 75% in all sports. Oh, my God. And to me, I think that that is really horrendous. Besides that, we have obesity problems with the kids not being active. And unless we get them into being active, and I don't care what sport it is, yes, you know, we're going to have a huge problem. And uh, I just hope that what we can do is motivate the adults to allow the kids to play. So in order that for the child to actually enjoy doing what they're doing, so they'll do it for a lifetime. So, Coach Carl, where can parents get a hold of you or coaches get a hold of you to implement uh, some of your some of your uh, program? Uh, three W's, FundamentalSoccer.com. Okay. And three W's, FundamentalSoccer.com is the website, and all they have to do is just drop a note, and I'll be back to them as soon as I can. Okay. Do you have, like, a subscription, like an email newsletter? All freebies. Okay. All right. we'll, we're going to change that one of these days, though, because everybody's making money except guys like me. Trust me, I'm in the same boat. We're, I think, <laughs> the, uh, 
we're about the same on par there. I have to ask my uh, computer guy to show me how to use Skype here. So <laughs> he did a good job because we finally connected. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, appreciate. It. I definitely have to call you back probably in a month's time, and I, I want to take. I want you to kind of take more of the floor and basically uh, go through those nine steps if you don't want. If you don't mind sharing with uh, with with the audience, right? Absolutely not. Perfect. And I'll, uh, so we'll be in touch. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Coach Carl. Yosef, any, any time that uh, I know that it's going to benefit the kids, I'll give the time for it. So please, whatever I can do, let me know. Oh, appreciate it. Oh, I'll definitely, uh, same here. <laughs> if I can help you out anyway, let me know. Very okay. good. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Take care. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. System. .ca podcast disclaimer. We're not here to tell you that we know everything. Just We're just here to present possibilities. The information presented is by no way intended as medical advice or as a substitute for medical counseling. The information should be used in conjunction with the guidance and care of your physician. Consult your physician before bringing, beginning this program as you would with any, any, any other exercise nutrition program. If you choose not to obtain consent of your physician and or work with your physician throughout the duration of your time using the recommendation given, you are agreeing to accept full responsibility for your actions. By continuing, you recognize that despite all precautions on the part of the system, the art and science of coaching, there are risks or of injuries or illness which can occur because of your use of the aforementioned information, and you especially assume risks and waive, relinquish, and release any claim which you have against the system, the art and science of coaching, or any of its affiliates, as a result of any future physical or illness incurred in connection with, or as a result of, the use or misuse of this information given. All rights reserved, no part of this publication may be reproduced, distributed, or transmitted in any form or by any means, including photocopy, recording, or any other electronic or mechanical methods, without the prior written permission of the system, the art and science of coaching, except in the case of brief quotations of body and critical reviews and certain other non-commercial uses permitted by copyright law. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. If you like the content, please hit the subscribe button. Check out the system.ca for more information on services and more content like this and also products. Take care.